The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Our show is growing in popularity. It is now the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel, and that is true only because so many of you are listening and telling your friends to listen as well. And for making this show financially viable, I want to thank our sponsors. For the first hour of today's show, they are Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold, Palangio Exploration, Tara Minerals, PMI Resources, Crocodile Gold, and Bayfield Ventures. Today our special guest will be Jeff Deist. He is Ron Paul's Chief of Staff. There are a lot of people these days jumping on the Ron Paul bandwagon, now hoping to get elected to Congress now that Ron is so popular. But are we likely to see real change take place by electing people who claim to mirror Ron's views? Or do we need to see a bottoms-up change, a revolution, as Ron Paul himself has called for, so that the change uh, comes from the bottom up and so that we can really do the things that Ron, or so that we can really see the things that Ron suggested happen really take place, uh, such as eliminating the Fed, eliminating the IRS, really radical proposals to be sure, well, if we elect more people to Congress, a few more here and there, is that going to make a difference? We'll get Jeff's thoughts on that and some other issues. Uh, at about 3.45 Eastern Time, Jeff will be with us. Also this week, I will be talking to the executives of three gold mining companies, namely 
Bayfield Ventures, Crocodile Gold, and Apollo Gold, all three, of course, are sponsors of this show. And I'm very happy to talk to gold mining companies these days because I believe we are now approaching the buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining stocks. And I say that because I believe that Bob Hoy has it right when he says that we are in one of the most uh, severe credit contractions of the last 300 years. Hoy has gone back and examined what happens to the real price of gold, never mind the nominal price of gold, but what happens to the purchasing power of an ounce of gold. And what Hoy has found in each and every example of those, uh, those last 300 years, uh, when the major currencies have contracted, uh, the credit markets have contracted for the major currencies, we've seen a dramatic rise in the price of gold, what a pr- an ounce of gold will buy. That happened in the 1930s, and it's happening again right now. I like to measure it relative to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, and we're seeing a dramatic increase since the Lehman Brothers decline um, of 2008 to September. In fact, right before that decline, uh, an ounce of gold would have purchased only 15% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund. As of today, an ounce of gold will buy 42% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. So gold is rising in its purchasing power, and with that it means rising profits for gold mining companies. And we are seeing, in fact, a very substantial increase in the profits of the major gold mining companies. And if the analysts are correct uh, in their uh, projections for 2010, we're going to see an even more astounding increase in the profits of the major mining companies. And as that takes place, we're going to see, we're going to see the money, uh, capital coming down the food chain, traveling down to the juniors, the, the companies that are in the process of finding gold in the ground. And that, I think, makes this a very, very, a very, very exciting time to be investing in gold mining shares. So I'm very happy to have gold mining companies to talk to uh, on this show. We normally uh, like to have Chen Lin with us. Uh, Chen wasn't able to be with us today, my partner Chen Lin, but I did speak with him earlier today, and he's telling me that all that he, uh, all of the uh, information he's gathering from his homeland back in Beijing, China, is that the Chinese people are in a buying panic for gold right now. And the reason is very simple. Uh, there's a stimulative monetary policy, just like we have, which are holding interest rates at ridiculously low levels, so people get nothing for their savings. And secondly, uh, they're experiencing a lot of inflation in China, so people are seeing their purchasing power and currency dissipate. So there is a, a mad rush to buy gold in China. So I think the, everything is lining up very, very well for, uh, for the gold sector and for gold mining shares. I mentioned we're having companies here uh, talk to us today, gold mining companies. Uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter. I have a lot of gold mining companies that I, that I think are good, uh, offer good opportunities for upside. Chen Lin does as well. Uh, but another uh, source of information where you can find out a lot about gold mining companies is, are the Cambridge House conferences. And there is one, probably the best one, one of the best ones, coming up on June 6th and June 7th in Vancouver. They hold these conferences in places like Toronto, uh, Montreal, uh, Calgary, Vancouver, and in Phoenix. And I'm very pleased to have with me Joe Martin, who is the proprietor of the Cambridge House Conferences. And uh, thanks, Joe, for being with me. Thanks, Jay. It's great to be on your show. Well, it's good to have you again. Now, I want to ask you, how is this show shaping up uh, in Vancouver? Are you seeing a lot of interest in the show, a lot of companies going to be there? Oh, sure. And maybe to put it in perspective why we do so well in Vancouver, Jay, we estimate that about 60% of all worldwide exploration for commodities 
is done by Canadian companies, and about two-thirds of those, what we call the juniors, junior exploration companies, are headquartered in Vancouver. So it's a very, you know, it's a very mining-oriented town, and uh, I would expect uh, June will probably have a, about 200 exhibitors representing about 260 companies, basically in all commodities, and I would think about 10,000 people will probably register. Wow, that's that's quite an exciting, that's quite an exciting number, 10,000 people. I think Joe also one of the things that bodes well for Vancouver and Canada in general is that the Canadians. Uh, understand this industry much better than Americans, generally speaking. Would you agree with that? Oh, sure. We're uh, we're a nation. Basically, I'm sitting here in British Columbia, and we're you know we're a nation founded primary or, or main strength is our commodities, uh, the mining and, and the mining sector, and uh, from the world's largest gold mine. With uh, uh, the, I just we just had a conference in Saskatchewan, and mm-hmm. their headquartered little town of about two hundred fifty thousand, and the world's uh, world's largest uranium company, and the world's largest potash companies. Well, wow. headquartered there. Well, speaking of uranium and potash, uh, how, how would you say it's shaking out in terms of the sectors represented at this year's show, Joe? Would you say the majority of them are gold mining uh, orientated, or would you say there's a good mix? There's a very good mix. Juniors tend to go where the action is very quickly. They can maneuver very quickly. So right now, let's say for the last year and a half, we've had a good run on people looking for rare earth deposits primarily by the fact that China, which is the world's largest supplier of rare earth minerals, will no longer export. And uh, the, US, the U.S. is very concerned about this uh, lack of uh, rare earth. And rare earths are being used in all the green technologies as well as some old technologies. I, uh, there's one called beryllium, which is the byproduct of a gold mine that's uh, needed for solar panels. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a, we've also got a lot of green tech companies coming along, which is uh, different, for example... I'm told by uh, Ross Beatty at the Copper Guys, uh, it takes 22 pounds more copper to build an electric car than a regular car. Mm. Wow! So green technologies are also driving the commodities market. So we've got a wide variety. And of course, gold and silver, and uh, an increased one right now. Of course, there's no pure deposits. Yeah. Rhodium. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhodium's gone up from I think it's around three thousand dollars an ounce right now, but it's been as high as ten thousand. And I see Kitco is just now starting to sell rhodium hmm. as a collector. Uh, you can hoard it. Wow. And there's no pure rhodium plays, but you can expect it. <laughs> it's going to be on everybody's board looking for it. Very interesting, Joe. Well, that's, you know, it certainly is the mecca for uh, for small-cap investors who are looking for resource stocks this uh, upcoming June 6th and 7th at the Cambridge House conference in Vancouver. Joe, where is it located? Uh, is it going to be down at the uh, at the convention center again? Yes, it is. There's uh, the new convention center, which we're finding in after having it being used for the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. So we're in there. Mm-hmm. And lots of hotels around, and uh, we expect, like I say, it'll be a top-notch show. One other thing I will mention, Jay, is that we did test the market in Saskatoon recently, a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, three weeks ago, and great show. We did an institutional day oh. where we had a different type of speakers. We had the mining world mining analyst for Deloitte uh, accounting firm. We had uh, we brought people in from Europe, the United States, because Saskatchewan happens to be a hot commodity area right now. But we are going to be expanding this into the United States and the markets like Palm Springs, Naples, Florida. Oh. These won't be the big retail shows that we do. These will be more for people who want to be more involved with the commodities market. Mm-hmm. More institutional. And professional. And, and high net worth people and uh-huh. uh, uh, that 
don't, so they won't have exhibits like we have at our retail shows. Okay, so no doubt that'll be like January, December, February, times like that, I suppose, if they're well, in the Florida. snowbirds are all south. Uh, well, that sounds like something. But we'll bring you down there, Joe. Right? Uh, so, how can people uh, get the information they need now, the, the exact details they need to attend this and future shows? Where can they go? CambridgeHouse.com. CambridgeHouse.com. Joe, we only have about 30 seconds. Let me just ask you really quickly. You have to watch the markets because that's your business. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to gear up for a big show if no one's going to show up. How are you seeing the global markets right now? What is your take on it? Well, I think, you know, we're going through this up and down thing on commodities, so we still firmly believe the long trend is here for commodities. You mentioned Bob Hoy. I just this morning got Ian Gordon, as a good friend of yours from the mm-hmm. Long Wave Analyst. I got his charts this morning, and I see chaos coming around the world, but mm-hmm. commodities will survive. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I think you're right about that, Joe. I certainly believe that one commodity, actually it's not a commodity, it's money, it's called gold, is going to survive for sure. The other things, well, we've got to have a lot of those things to stay alive. They're all in Jimmy Rogers' raw materials fund because he has selected those items, he said, represent the cost of staying alive. All I can say is that gold is buying a heck of a lot more of Rogers' raw materials fund now than it did in the past. But I'm looking forward to seeing you again, Joe. It's going to be an exciting time. Thanks for coming on the show again. And, folks, uh, don't go away because we're going to be right back in just a minute as soon as the break with Jim Pettit. He is the chairman and CEO of Bayfield Ventures. Jim will be with us to tell us about his projects in northern Ontario. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. 
Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and with me now is Jim Pettit. He's the chairman and CEO of Bayfield Ventures. It's a company that trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol BYV. And under the pink sheets, it's BYVVF. Uh, according to my uh, records here, there's about 27 million shares outstanding. The stock has recently traded at about 40, 41, 42 cents, somewhere around that mm-hmm. area, giving it a market cap of around $11 million. Welcome, Jim, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks, Jay. Glad to be uh, here. Really good to have you with me. Uh, you, are, am I talking to you? Are you in Toronto right now? Or, I'm in or? Vancouver. In Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. Well, as Joe Martin just told us, that's you know we're 60% of all the junior mining companies. <laughs> Are and I know within walking distance you can actually go and, and sort of walk around and see most of those companies downtown Vancouver. Oh yeah. So you have uh, you you were in Mongolia in the past. Now you've brought your roots back to uh, you're back to your roots now. Really, yep. in Ontario, exploring uh, that part of the world. Do you have a flagship property in Ontario? Well, it's uh, right now. It's the we're in the Rainy River area tied mm-hmm. right onto the Rainy River deposit that's being de- developed by Rainy River Resources. Um, we are the only people in the area, and uh, you know, one of the blocks, we've got three blocks, two on the east and one to the west, and uh, one of the blocks on the east called the Burns Block is literally tied right onto their open pit. Mm-hmm. Um, actually was incorporated in their pit design oh. uh, because at one time, a couple of years ago, we had optioned that block to Rainy River. They drilled a series of holes, six holes, uh, hit gold in most of them. And uh, then that was would have been about November 2008, I think, is what we can all remember what happened then. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were running out of time on their option agreement, and they just felt instead of renegotiating, they dropped it. Oh, and they didn't know if they were ever going to get refinanced again because of yeah. what happened. You know, it, their stock mm. went down to well, about a dollar, I think. Yeah, 
Okay, well, tell me about it then. Is I, I believe they have a nice resource there. Rainy River does. What is They're their gold to resource? About five million ounces. Five uh, million. Yeah, between inferred and and measured now. Um, it, they're drilling right now specifically to get every, all the holes 10-meter spaces so that mm-hmm. that can all get switched over to uh, measured, For, okay. drill indicated. Now, let, so let me ask you, this block uh, that you're just talking about, uh, do, what do you know about the structure of this gold-bearing structure that, that Rainy River has? Their main structure, they've got a series, and they all seem to be in parallel, but the main one's the ODM-17 zone, and that runs pretty much uh, west to east. Mm-hmm. Uh, across their block and like directly heading onto ours, and to the west, you know, there's really they own all the land for a long, long way. So, you know, and then our western block is about a kilometer out there. Um, so it, it's got a long way to go. But on the east side, it's it's coming right at us, and they're they're literally drilling fifty meters away. Okay, so have you done anything, any geophysical work, any 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 surface geology that that suggests that this thing continues on to your property? Well, the, the good part about this is right where our border is. There's a it's a road, a, a county road that sort of defines the topography a bit. We're mm-hmm. a little more elevated. We've got outcrop, so we're not relying necessarily on drilling these uh, gold and till anomalies mm-hmm. where you use overburdened drilling. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're on the on the west side of that road, which is the Rainy River deposit, it's basically on a swamp. Mm-hmm. If you're on the east side of the road, you've got outcrop happening, and so we actually do the, uh, you know, you can sample, mm-hmm. you can actually physically sample and uh, chip sample and trenching and all anything we want to do. Have you, you done some of that overburden drilling? Have you done some of that chip sample? Yep, we've surface? done it. Uh, we've actually, you know, we've drilled a series of holes. They they drilled some holes. We've drilled some more holes, and now what I've just done is. Just raised a bun- uh, another four million dollars mm-hmm. uh, just in the last month, and we're going to put a grid on this property. And you know, it, it's basically designed to drill twenty thousand meters between our three blocks, but the bulk of it will be on this block. And we're just we're going to do a grid, you know, maybe fifty meter spacings, mm-hmm. and away we go. So is this close to the surface? And your target is right up yeah. on surface. Well, it's uh, it 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 at it, the outcrop. It dips in a southerly direction, mm-hmm. so you've got some that'll be very close to the, the surface along the north part of the property, and it'll dip to the south. So as you go to our southern border, it'll it could be down to 600 meters, mm-hmm. but coming up virtually the surface. So you have 20,000. Did you say 20,000 meters or feet? Meters. It's meters that you're going to be drilling. Okay, yeah, and that's that's, uh, that's the a form- big program. Okay, so that so when are you starting that? Uh, they're mobilizing today. Okay, and then when do you the expect some drill results? out of Winnipeg, and he's moving. We've got about four to five semi flatbeds full of uh, everything for the. It's going to take about a year to do this. To do the drilling. Yeah. And when do you expect the first drill results? They will start flowing uh, the first series of holes. You know, it'll it'll, it'll probably be a month anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you get the core split logged. Um, sent in for assay and returned. It, you know, it'll be four to six weeks, anyways. And then, then you've got a ro- you know just serious rotation going on. Right. So you won't. So, so but like you months. should have some drill results on a fairly regular basis over the next year. Would you say? Yeah. 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 I would say you know you'll probably batch it for once a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, That's just too you, many holes to do hole by hole. 
Can you tell me, uh, with respect to your ownership, your share ownership, uh, how many of the shares are owned by insiders and by management? Uh, just before, prior to this financing, you could find, you know, between insiders and management may hold up to, uh, you know, and probably about 12 million of the 26 million prior to this financing. Now we just did the financing, so we've taken it up to 30, 39 million. Okay, so 39 million. The number that I gave a little earlier was a little it was lower. Was off. By 10. Okay, so you're at 39 million now yeah. with share price about 40, 40 couple cents, I suppose. It's right now at 38 today. 38. Well, the markets are bad. getting hit pretty hard today. Yeah. Uh, many of them. Um, well, this sounds like you could have some some real, uh, you know, price driving news possibly. This is, if, if, this will this will be good. I mean, I, I I've been in the business since the 90, mid nineties and done lots of financings, and I'll tell you what, this was sold out in an hour and a half. So the uh, obviously the the people that know this business are are betting uh, fairly yeah. aggressively that there's going to be uh, some good drill results coming That's out right. of here. We'd like to remind our listeners that there's nothing nothing guaranteed in this business ever. No. Never and uh, you know, this, is a, to... this is still a speculative stock, folks. Uh, as exciting as it is, this is one of the reasons that I like to tell my subscribers: you know, take up to five percent of your portfolio. Maybe you want to be a m- bit more aggressive sometimes, but but don't bet the ranch on any one company because no, you no. never know. I mean, now if you're an insider, that's another story. But you know, I, I've been through this so often to know that as good as it sounds, you know, there's all. There's, there can be delays, there can be disappointments. I mean, there's no guarantee of anything, but it certainly does sound very, very exciting. You don't yet have a 43101 resource, do you? No. Okay. No, this is very, you know, right at the beginning. Okay, and, so what uh, we're looking to do here is, is prove mineral, I guess you're looking to establish mineralization on these structures. It, um, we know what they've got, and they come right up to our border. We've, we've got an initial start here, but we're going to actually go in and actually grid the property drill the whole thing out, if we can add significantly to their resource, this particular block is, you know, it's got to be bought out. They're going to have to do something with it because they own the land to our north and to our south. Mm -hmm. And to the north of their main gold zone, they've got another gold zone forming called the 433 gold zone, and it runs in the same direction Mm -hmm. to our north over to our next block called the B block. Mm -hmm. So we've got a couple blocks here that are, Definitely in the play. Uh, well, it certainly sounds like an exciting story here. Uh, what do you see as your biggest risk? I mean, there's, as I just pointed out, there's no risk-free thing. <laughs> biggest risk? Yeah. You don't hit any gold. It stops. But it's what? It stops. That's your biggest risk. That the it's, gold-bearing structure. Yeah, that it stops. stops at the border some for some reason. Yeah, and uh, you know, so far from what we know and what we've drilled, we we, we don't see that. Okay, what is your website so people can follow your progress here and as these drill results come out? Bay, so they can Bayfieldventures.com. Again, please? Bayfieldventures.com. Well, thank you very much for being, uh, for being with us today, and I think this is a story we're going to want to let people know more about as we, uh, as we move forward here. Yeah. And uh, I that's will all be the time we have now, but in... don't go away, folks, because coming up next we've got Mike Hoffman. He's the president and CEO of an emerging gold producer in Australia, and I'm talking about Crocodile Gold. So we'll be right back uh, with Mike Hoffman as soon as we return from the break.
the market's up or down. Or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp traded Toronto symbol CSC and in the United States symbol CSLVF offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojian gold and silver property hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system which is open at depth. 
Merex Gold with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold Deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me now Mike Hoffman. He is the president of Crocodile Gold Corp. That's a newly formed gold mining company uh, operating in Australia that I believe offers really good value, in part because investors simply don't know the story yet. In fact, that's why I did add this company as a buy recommendation in my newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. We did have Mike with us uh, on the show a couple of weeks back, but we have him here again to give us an update. Welcome, Mike, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks for having me back again, Jay. Uh, always good to chat with you. Thank you. Um, for the sake of listeners who may not have heard you the last time you were on with us, can you quickly give an overview of the two mines in Australia that are being put into production now? How much gold will they produce, and if you can give us sort of an estimated cash cost of production for those mines? Yeah, um, our uh, our uh, properties are located in the Northern Territory of Australia, which is sort of the top middle of Australia. Um, these assets uh, have a history going back 20 years. We have uh, two processing facilities, one at Union Reefs, which processes 2.4 million tons a year, and another one at Tom's Gully, which processes 240,000 tons a year. Right now, we're producing from two open pit mines at North Point and Howley, and from a high-grade underground mine at Brock's Creek, which we feed to the Union Reef Mill. Later this year, we'll produce from the Tom's Gully mine, which we're currently developing, and we'll send that to the Tom's Gully Mill. And I'm really pleased that uh, in June, we're going to start the development at the Cosmo Underground Higher Grade Mine, which we believe is one of the real keystone cornerstones of the mine moving forward. And going into 2011, uh, that'll produce at a rate of 100,000 ounces a year at very low cash cost. Now, right now, we're producing 100,000 ounces a year. And uh, for this year, uh, we've just uh, come out with some revised guidance. And that cash cost should be around U.S. $700 an ounce. But that's based on an Australian dollar, U.S. dollar exchange rate at about Mm 1.125. And as of today, it's about 1.18. So I would say that that... Um, if you looked at today's exchange rate, it's probably 
closer to about 665, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly the U.S. dollar has gotten stronger uh, over the last number of weeks uh, vis-a-vis the other currencies, including those currencies of the commodity-producing countries like Australia and Canada and the like. Uh, so that's a really big thing that people have to keep in mind is the is the exchange rate. Now, Mike, you said uh, I believe you're there is a term and ter- uh, um, the term commercial production. I believe you have not yet declared commercial production. Could you tell our listeners what that means? What does commercial production mean? What's the definition? And when do you expect to to reach that point? Um, we uh, came out with a press release this week that we will be declaring commercial production June 1st, 2010. Um, we've had a nice uh, steady ramp up. You know, we had a few problems along the way, but uh, we've been fixing them as we go. And what I'd say over the last month and a half is we're typically getting, you know, more consistent grades, more consistent recoveries, and more consistent throughput. And when companies talk about commercial production, it's really um, some of the auditors or auditing companies would say, you know, maybe you're at 60 to 80 percent of uh, your normal throughput. We were trying to get as close as our full throughput as we can before declaring commercial production. Um, there's a few different definitions, but we're, what really happens is up till the point of commercial production, you're capitalizing all your expenditures, and every any revenue you bring in is offset against those expenditures. Once you uh, declare commercial production, you you report your operating cost and your cash cost per ounce and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, I'd point out, I, you, you noted that you are reducing your production or your estimates of 2010 production, I believe, uh, to 100,000 ounces from 120,000 ounces. But I would still say that that's 100,000 ounces. is pretty darn good for a startup company, essentially. But, but what really excites me about Crocodile Gold is your exploration potential, could you just give our listeners a little bit of an idea about that? Because I know you've got about, I think, what is it, 500,000 ounces of reserves, or correct me on that if I'm wrong, but about 5 million ounces of of resource numbers. So will some of those resource numbers be upgraded into reserves, or, or what do you have in mind um, as you go forward with your exploration program? And if you could just talk about that, because I think it's a very extensive exploration program uh, over the next number of weeks and months. Well, that's right. Uh, One of the big things that we identified when we obtained these assets is we felt the assets had been very underexplored considering we had such a very large resource. Um, You know, as you mentioned, we do have over 5 million ounces of resource, but our reserves are only about 550,000 ounces. So Mm -hmm. we embarked on a $23 million exploration program this year, 130,000 meters of drilling. And what we want to do by the end of the year is we want to have a substantially higher reserve but we also want to increase that resource substantially. And what our hope is, and I call it the master plan, master target, is we'd like to get from 5 million ounces to 10 million ounces over the next couple of years. And if we do that, we think we could then plot a path to actually get our production rate from 100,000 this year, 200,000 next year. And maybe, you know, within five years, we'd be up to about half a million ounces. Now, that's our goal. Whether we make it or not, um, you know, it remains to be seen. But... When we talk about expiration, I mean, some companies have a theory, oh, we hope we're going to be successful. Most of the resource, uh, 60% of the current resource is less than 100 meters in depth. All this stuff is near surface. All we're doing is we're drilling along these same trends where we already have showings from the 1980s and 90s, and we're drilling deeper, we're drilling wider, and we're drilling along strike. And and that's why we've been having a lot of success. Our discovery costs right right to date is about $6 per ounce. Mm. 
Well, that's remarkable. And and so uh, I guess the idea here is that it's not like, uh, to use an oil term, wildcatting. You're really drilling in known structures. You're just sort of filling in the spaces where, uh, you know, where you've had good uh, gold intercepts before. Is that right? Exactly. And like a lot of our exploration geologists always want us to, well, you know, oh, we've got all these grassroots targets. I'm going, well, that's great. But you know the the success or the probability of success in what we're doing is so high. Let's just mm-hmm. keep doing it. And once we go through a lot of these targets, which is going to take us a long time, believe me, um, then we'll go to some of these other uh, more, I guess, call it greener targets. Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes here. I've I've got to ask you about the tax issue in Australia. We uh, I, it certainly has hurt your stock. I mean, it was a week or so after I recommended it that the Australians have uh, started talking about raising taxes on mining companies. I don't believe any other industry, but mining companies, which is to me like um, like killing the goose that lays the golden egg in a sense, because the Australian mining company is uh, Australian mining companies are so successful in producing so many jobs and so much revenue for that for that country. Uh, do you now this uh, this is not law yet? Is that right? No, uh, the timeline here is they're going to consult with various stakeholders this year, go through legislation next year, and the supposed implementation is mid-2012. Okay, so then there is, uh, I mean, what's proposed and what might come out as, as law could be two different things, if, if it indeed it's passed at all. Well, I, I think the best, uh, I guess, maybe ammunition for this tax uh, not being implemented in its present, present form is I mean, there's a couple things. Uh, some of the large mining companies, such as BHP and Rio Tinto, lost about $14 billion of market capitalization a few days after this tax was announced. Companies oh. like ours were hurt. Um, you know, the Australian dollar uh, weakened substantially. Now, was that part of a larger macro thing with the whole European thing? Hard to say, but it was about that same time. So it certainly had a bit of an effect. The re- um, existing prime minister, he's lost... Uh, about 10 percentage points. Uh, two of the states in Australia that have the most resources, let's say Western Australia and Queensland, mm-hmm. have both come out solidly against this tax. They believe it's going to hurt investment and, and hurt jobs. So, I, you know, all the right things are being said. The government is all of a sudden starting to backtrack and talking about compromise. Um, I'm ho- cautiously optimistic that, you know, that we will, we're bound to see something, but hopefully it won't be near as onerous as it first came out. Well, it certainly seems to me that the markets have uh, sort of discounted this tax being passed, and so I would I would think that if it's less onerous than it seems, uh, then first announced that it would be very bullish for the mining companies uh, longer term, uh, that's for sure. Well, what can investors look forward to um, in the way of news from Crocodile over the next several weeks? Well, we've announced uh, that we're going into commercial production, so the nice thing is, uh, you know, second quarter will be coming up before too long, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see uh, how we've... Uh, you know, increased our, our production and obviously hitting, starting to hit our targets. Um, we're going to have a steady stream of expiration results. When you have six drills going, yeah. uh, you know, just by its very nature, there's going to be some results coming out. Um, expect to see some more uh, results on Tom's Gully, Howley, Brock's, and Cosmo. Um, you know, I think the other thing we'll see is, uh, you know, the start of that uh, portal at uh, Cosmo, and that should happen hopefully within a few weeks. And, uh, you know, that's that's a major milestone for us. And when you go back a year with what we were predicting, you know, for the most part, we've been hitting every target. The other thing that will be coming up, too, is we're looking to put a new processing facility near the Cosmo Holly Corridor, which has over 2.1 million ounces and counting. And hmm. we expect to complete that feasibility study in June. So lots oh. of news coming out, and we're pretty excited. 
Well, I, I think you have reason to be. Again, uh, thanks, Mike, for coming on our show to update our listeners, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to have you on sometime pretty soon again to give us an update. So thanks again. But folks, don't go away. Next up, Jeff Dice. He's Ron Paul's chief of staff. He'll talk with us about the rising popularity of his boss, Ron Paul, who's run even with Obama, if you can believe it, in a Rasmussen poll. Anyway, Jeff will also talk about the Federal Reserve's unholy alliance with the U.S. Congress. I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting discussion, so don't go away. I'll be right back with Jeff Dice. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Have you been acquiring physical gold, silver, and coins? Are you receiving the best price and the best service you can? Why not work with the most recommended precious metals company in the country? Resource Consultants is recommended by over 20 newsletter writers, several websites, and countless stockbrokers and financial planners. Call them now and find out how they can help you. 800-494-4149. Or visit them on the web at www.buysilvernow.com. That's 800-494-4149. They'll be waiting for your call. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp, traded Toronto, symbol CSC, and in the United States, symbol CSLVF, offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property, hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk-reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. You know, I've known Ron Paul for many years. There was once a time not long ago when Dr. Paul had so few people who cared about what he was saying that you could pretty much get a hold of him and talk to him well, quite frequently. And Al Corlin and I used to speak with him uh, almost every other week when he first started running uh, for president uh, on the Republican ticket back in 2008. But that was before the Lehman Brothers collapse that triggered the worst economic decline since the Great Depression. Because Ron was really the only member of Congress that was predicting our current monetary and fiscal uh, policy problems, uh, or, or that those those policies would lead to the depression. Ju- uh, just the Fed-based monetary system led prolonged depressions in, uh, as it did in the 1930s. And because of his visibility as presidential candidate during the, during uh, 2008, Dr. Paul now is one of the most sought-after members of Congress by major television networks. Uh, so Ron's views are now listened to by more and more Americans who are fed up with the uh, uh, with the, the misinformation that is given to them on a regular basis and. With his rising popularity, there are now a host of Republican candidates who are eager to run under the label Ron Paul Republican. But can our problems really be solved by people who want to work within the system with with a Ron Paul label? Or do we need, as Ron Paul himself has suggested, a revolution from the bottom up and a return to the Constitution? That a return that is demanded uh, by the populace uh, in the hearts and minds of people. Do we need to see that, or can we... Can we change, make changes, the kind of changes Dr. Paul's been calling for, the fundamental changes that the founders of our country call, called for? Can we do that with a few congressmen here and there elected to Congress? Well, for an answer to that question, I have asked a very good friend of mine, Jeff Dice, who is now Ron Paul's chief of staff, to come on to this show uh, to talk about that and other issues. Jeff is a tax attorney and longtime libertarian activist who works as chief of staff for Ron Paul uh, in Washington. In 2000, Jeff joined Dr. Paul's staff as a communications director. He later acted as the congressman's tax staffer and joint economic committee staffer. Before working for Dr. Paul, Jeff worked uh, in California um, as a tax attorney representing high net worth individuals, partnerships, and small corporations. He specialized in multi-jurisdictional asset protection and offshore estate planning. More recently, Jeff worked as a senior manager for two different big four accounting firms, where he specialized in tax issues arising from mergers and acquisitions for mid-sized up to Fortune 500 tech companies. His mergers and acquisition tax experience has included tax due diligence, bankruptcy and restructuring planning, domestic and international tax structuring, and tax modeling. In early 2010, Jeff returned to Washington as Ron Paul's chief of staff. Welcome, Jeff, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks, Jay. Good to hear from you. Well, it's really good to have you here, Jeff. Uh, you just returned from California where you worked as a tax attorney, as we just mentioned. What can you tell us about the current condition of the California economy? Well, I worry about my home state. I must tell you, um, 
you know, you've probably seen the comparisons where people talk about California as uh, the Greece of America. Mm. Um, and it really is very much in the same position as Greece in that it's got a lot of sovereign debt, so to speak, if you want to consider it a sovereign state. Mm-hmm. But like Greece in the Eurozone, California can't print its own currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at some point, the state of California either has to uh, borrow money or raise it in taxes or, or you know, by issuing bonds or, or uh, you know, tax increases, mm-hmm. legislating tax increases. Both of those are very difficult to do in this environment, as you can imagine. Uh, California's credit rating is not good. Uh, its economy is hobbled. It's, it's one of the most highly taxed, highly regulated big government states in the country. So, uh, you know, taxing people or, or business more uh, is, is almost certain to result in less revenue. Mm. Uh, more so, it's it's a it's a bit of a mess, and I'm certainly concerned. I mean, you know, when you get down to to an individual level, there are are cuts being made in schools, um, presumably, uh, you know, coming soon to fire departments and police departments, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so the great social experiment of California is unraveling, mm. and uh, you know, at some point, you uh, you really wonder will California be able to pay its bills? It wasn't too long ago. Uh, just last year, in fact, that California had to issue the state of California had to issue IOUs to some of its vendors, mm-hmm. and many of the banks in California. In fact, I think all of the banks in California ultimately refused to cash those and simply mm-hmm. did not accept California state IOUs wow. as deposit instruments. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there are some vendors uh, who have provided whatever services to the state that that uh, either never were paid or were paid. Many many months later, mm-hmm. well, I so think there were discounts perhaps too to some of those instruments. Sure, yeah, sure. Well, we saw what happened in Greece—the riots in the street and all that. Is that something that you think could happen in California as well? Well, California is a big state. It's got millions and millions of people, um, and it uh, certainly has a lot of folks who rely on government uh, payments of one form or another. And, uh, you know, we certainly hope nothing like that would ever happen. But, um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, this is, this is what happens when you have welfare states. People become no. dependent and if, uh, on government. And if government effectively shuts down, or, or at least in part, um, presumably a lot of people are not going to be very happy. Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly in New York State, we're seeing much the same thing, another welfare state, if you will. And uh, my son's girlfriend was telling us the other evening about uh, she's a teacher in the New York City school system and how there is really growing tension within her school because they're being asked to do more and more uh, more and more work. And uh, anyway, I think this is a very, very interesting time. Jeff, I'd like to ask you, we've got about four minutes before we go to our first break, but you left a presumably a fairly lucrative tax business, a tax uh, job, a tax attorney position in California to go back to uh, to work for Ron Paul. Um, why did you do that? Well, uh, long story short, Ron gave me a call and asked. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'd worked for him before, and his uh, longtime chief of staff, my predecessor, uh, had left after many years. And this is uh, about uh, Christmas or New Year's time, just a few months back. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're there um, working with Ron Paul, who uh, I know you enjoyed working with before. So I guess it's it always uh, helps if you like your boss, and I'm sure that has something to do with it. And I also believe that you probably uh, believe very strongly in the positions that Ron that Ron is taking. Absolutely. If if uh, if I can help uh, Congressman Paul uh, 
with the, the message of liberty in any small way, then I'm ecstatic mm-hmm. to do so, you know, uh, for my job. I'm, I'm sure you're doing that. Um, can you tell our listeners uh, what a chief of staff does? We hear that term. What is your, I guess, what is your job with Ron? Well, Paul? I think it's probably radically different depending on what office you mm-hmm. talk to. Sure. But um, uh, a lot of chiefs of staff probably have to do a fair bit of pandering. But uh, mm-hmm. in this office, um, Congressman Paul is here to represent his constituents in a constitutional manner, mm-hmm. which means in a manner that comports with the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least in our view, uh, that law sets forth a pretty limited amount of, of functions of, for the federal government. And um, so we try to, to stick with that. And, um, you know, a lot of my job is uh, managerial or administrative in nature, as you can imagine. Um, but basically, I'm here to help Ron and to help his staff um, uh, get the message of liberty out there and to serve his constituents in a, in a constitutional manner. Yeah, I think that constitutional manner is what differentiates Ron from most other, most other congressmen, Congress, most other representatives. And uh, it's very interesting to note that Ron has constantly voted that way, even when you know, conventional wisdom would suggest that it would hurt him politically, and yet he continues to get returned to, to Congress. There was a very interesting story that... Um, uh, that I that I was told recently about Ron um, and um, by someone who who knew something about it, and he said that he actually was a, a broker, a stockbroker who had a very wealthy client in Ron's district. He was a farmer, uh, and apparently, uh, you know, the farmer was unhappy that Ron refused to uh, to vote for for farm for the farm bill that would throw some money towards this farmer, I guess, and. So uh, as the story goes, Ron invited him over to his home to discuss it. And the long and the short of it was Ron said to him, if you can tell me why some, why some uh, tax, taxi driver in New York City or some other worker in the middle of America should, should subsidize you, and if you can give me a good reason for that, then I'll vote for the bill. And the guy said, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't explain it. And so basically, uh, you know, I guess this farmer gained a great deal of respect for Ron Paul. I mean... That's what we mean by the Constitution, right? I mean, if the Constitution doesn't, doesn't uh, permit something, then it shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be passed. The law shouldn't be passed unless it's constitutional. And Ron sticks to that. Well, to say something is constitutional or unconstitutional is just another way of saying something is legal or illegal. <laughs> In other words, we're supposed to treat the Constitution like black leather law, not like some sort of uh, um, fuzzy, uh, aspirational document. In other words... If, if a state has a law that says, you know, uh, trucks on our, on our state highways are limited to X thousand pounds, and every so often they have a weigh station, and if the truck's overweight, they, they give the driver a fine. But that's mm-hmm. a very explicit black-letter law. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't treat the Constitution that way. We treat it as, as some kind of uh, thing to which we should aspire, when what it really is is black-letter law that lays out a very limited amount of things that the federal government ought to be doing, mm-hmm. and and through the Ninth and Tenth Amendments prohibits the federal government from doing everything else. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, we do have to go to the break right now, Jeff. When we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, the constitutional, about the Constitution and Congress and what it's supposed to do and what it isn't supposed to do. So, folks, we'll be right back with Jeff Dice uh, immediately after the commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly-owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, 
Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially viable. The sponsors for the second hour of today's show are Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Canico Resources. Well, Jeff, before we, um, before we went to the break here, we talked a little bit about the Constitution, what is constitutional and what is not. It's my understanding that Congress declared that we were supposed to have money comprised of gold and silver. Is that correct? And if, if it is correct, could you tell our listeners where it is in the Constitution? Well, it's correct uh, in part, basically, if you look at Article 1, which lays out the, the uh, powers of Congress. In Section 8 of Article 1, uh, Congress is granted the power to coin money. Mm-hmm. Um, if you continue on to Section 10 of Article 1, mm-hmm. uh, it says that states... Um, shall only use gold or silver mm-hmm. to make payment for debts. Mm-hmm. So essentially what we have here, if you put those two things together, is we have, you know, one, that the federal government can coin money, mm-hmm. that states cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, states have the authority to determine what they can use as tender and payment of debts by default. Mm-hmm. The federal government doesn't have that specific enumeration in the Constitution. And then states are then prohibited by the Constitution from making anything other than gold or silver Mm-hmm. Uh, for payment of their debts. Mm-hmm. So I think if you put those two things together, most people surmise that that uh, essentially the, the money that Congress makes should be, the Congress coins, mm-hmm. should be gold or silver. Mm-hmm. Not always as straightforward uh, of an interpretation as people make it out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think from Congressman Paul's perspective, it doesn't so much matter. In other words, if we simply eliminated post-constitutional, extra-constitutional legal tender laws and allowed competing currencies, government would quickly be brought into line. Mm-hmm. In other words, let government, let the federal government print its worthless paper as long as there's no law that says you and I in the private sector can't use whatever currency we so choose. Mm-hmm. And historically, gold and silver have often been you know, have often been chosen mm-hmm. as the best forms of currency, but there could be others. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were allowed to use competing currencies in a legal way, I think that that would force the government's hand. That's certainly Congressman Paul's perspective. He actually has a bill in Congress to repeal legal tender laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bottom line is that when the government's coining money without any rational basis for determining how much Mm-hmm. without any backing. I shouldn't even say coining money. I should say coining uh, Federal Reserve notes, mm-hmm. which are supposed to be able to be redeemed for actual money. Mm-hmm. They were, they, at some point, they became money, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, uh, what we need to do is allow the marketplace to determine what money is, mm-hmm. just like we allow the marketplace to determine um, whether you, you know, would prefer an iPad or a Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, because of legal tender laws, we cannot do so. Mm. And it's a very serious problem and a very, uh, very deep-seated problem for our country. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say that uh, 
Okay, so let's go back to this constitutional issue then. With respect to our monetary system, of course, we've got the Federal Reserve that's very much involved in that process. The Federal Reserve, is it constitutional? No, certainly not in our view, and, and for the plain reason that it's not expressly authorized in the Constitution. In other words, our view and the view of, of, of most liberty-loving people is that the Constitution limits the power of the federal government rather than, than serving as an authorizing document for a whole broad range of federal power. On the contrary, we view it as a limitation on government uh, that, has some specific, that gives each of the three branches some specifically enumerated powers. And nowhere in the Constitution is there anything to be found in congressional power, the, the authority to create the Federal Reserve Bank. And as you know, you know we existed for, for well over 100 years mm-hmm. uh, without a central bank or without the Federal Reserve. I think we had forms of a central bank, so to speak, beforehand. Um, you know, pol- the nature of politicians and politics hasn't changed. I'm sure from day one there's been problems with people, with government wanting to spend more than it and it, it raises in revenue. But essentially, um, we view the Federal Reserve as extra-constitutional, which is another way of saying unconstitutional. So hence the, uh, the proposal um, by Ron Paul to, um, to get rid of the Fed, that is to legislate it out of existence. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be the ultimate goal. Um, because short, short of that, we'd like to see a, a thorough ongoing, independent Congressional Budget Office audit mm-hmm. of the Federal Reserve. And that's what he proposed in a bill that was sort of watered, completely watered down. Is that right? That's right. On the House side of things, uh, Ron's bill to audit the Federal Reserve was passed in it, mm-hmm. it, as an amendment to a larger bill at the end of last year. On the Senate side, however, it was offered just a couple weeks ago to the financial reform bill and uh, was, was basically... <coughs> modified by the uh, senator who had introduced it, uh, Mr. Sanders from Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, another senator, Mr. Vitter from Louisiana, did offer Ron's original language in full. Uh, it was defeated. Mm-hmm. And so basically the sort of softer Sanders bill was passed. Uh, that would permit a one-time audit of some of the Fed's activities surrounding the so-called bailouts. No. Um, to hopefully, and, and that's a great thing, to hopefully identify some of the recipients of that money. Mm-hmm. Um, but Congressman Paul is more interested in auditing, first of all, the Fed on an ongoing basis. Sure. Because a one-time audit, if something is hidden or taken off books, um, you know, there's just no recourse down the road. But more importantly, we actually want to look into the discount window, and we want to look into rate setting um, and, and real, real questions about rate setting and the money supply itself. Mm-hmm. Um, which we think is, is a wildly destructive power that Congress has just sort of given away to the Fed. Um, the, the idea that a group of people can determine what the proper money supply is mm-hmm. is every bit as, as, as preposterous and every bit as harmful as was the idea that a, a, a bureau of Soviet planners could decide how much wheat you know, should be in a particular region for a given year or how many people should work in the shoe factory um, it, it's an outrageous anti-market idea, and, and, and it's really unfortunate that so many people who identify themselves as advocates of capitalism yeah. in America, you know, the people who watch the Bloombergs of the world, you know, the people who watch um, the, the Kudlows of the world, 
are, are pro-Fed because mm-hmm. the Fed oh, yeah. is an inherently anti-market mm-hmm. mechanism, incompatible with, with free markets. Jeff, I'm wondering, you said equally as damaging as the Politburo, you know, deciding how much wheat and at what price it should be produced. I would, I would take it a step further, perhaps, and suggest that it might be more so because money covers all markets, in essence. And we have this concept of malinvestment that the Austrians, that the Austrian School of Economics talks about. The Keynesians never mention it, but the notion that you can pump huge amounts of money into a system sends signals uh, in the wrong direction and causes uh, misallocation of resources. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can see it everywhere in America. You can see it in the preposterous McMansions that -hmm. were built in towns where there were no real real lasting jobs to ever support, uh, you know, those kinds of mortgages. You can see it in some of the, uh, what we like to call bubble businesses Mm -hmm. of the uh, the late uh, Greenspan, early Bernanke era. Um, you know, just just stuff that middle America doesn't need and can't really afford. Mm-hmm. Uh, middle class America, I should say. Um, you know, uh, five dollar ice cream servings. Um, you know, a, a BMW in every driveway, that wow. sort of thing. But um, yes, you're absolutely right. It, you know, everybody has to use money. You know, when it comes to to weed or something else, that could be more targeted. So we have uh, this issue of uh, gold backing a currency. When gold does not back a currency, and I'm old enough to remember very clearly, 1971, August 15th, I believe was the exact date, when uh, reading in the New York Times about how Nixon took us off the gold standard, and uh, the international gold standard at that time, because we were not allowed to own it as private citizens, but at least internationally, uh, debts were settled in gold. And uh, and the clear reason for that was that um, was it was it Nixon, like Johnson before him, didn't want to tell the American people that the war was going to cost them a lot of money, that socialism, uh, Johnson's great society, wasn't going to cost them a lot of money, uh, and so they just issued debt. And De Gaulle said, "Well, you know, you guys are printing all this money now to pay for your debt. I, I don't think I want to own it. Give me the real thing. Give me gold." And gold started leaving our coffers in a very massive fashion, and Nixon just you know, unilaterally, as the world superpower, decided that we weren't going to pay uh, in gold anymore. That was a default of the United States, I believe. But what, so what are we going to... This, this has really paved the way, though, has it not, Jeff, for us to continue to, to engage in wars almost, almost all the time. The U.S. Is, is involved in how many different countries, and we've got a presence, and we all... I mean, I don't know of any other country that's fighting wars all the time. The United States is fighting wars. Is this? Do you see a connection here between this monetary issue and the ability for the U.S. to continue to fight wars without uh, any constitutional, uh, without without Congress uh, declaring war? Oh, absolutely. There's a very close connection, and nobody in the media ever talks about political economy as it relates to foreign policy. Yeah. It's simply not covered. But, the, but governments hate gold because gold constrains government spending. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, there's no question that we have been able to paper over some of our warfare spending just as much as we have papered over some of our welfare spending. Um, some historians believe that, that World War I was in part, or I should say U.S. involvement in World War I, was at least in part made possible by the creation just a few years earlier of the Federal Reserve Bank itself and the system mm-hmm. um, that allows the Fed to create money, in essence, out of thin air and Congress to, to, to spend some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yes, there's no question that that you know we have used the, the power of the Fed printing press and the Treasury printing press to to spend beyond our means, and a big part of that is warfare spending, unquestionably. Mm-hmm. So could we be the you know the sort of uh, adventure military adventurous nation that we are? Um, with a sound money system, probably not. And, mm-hmm. and in the view of Congressman Paul, that would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. What um, I, I, there are a growing number of people that are really seeking to run for Congress these days as Ron Paul Republicans. Uh, is that a fad, or do you think there is a a real movement here and a chance for real change through this uh, through this through this um, you know through electing new people to Congress? Well, I hope it's not a fad, and we certainly uh, are happy to see that that Congressman Paul's presidential race in 2008 um, has some coattails, so to speak, even a couple years later, um, and that that Ron has served to energize people um, to to try to make changes. Mm-hmm. So we certainly view that as a healthy thing, and uh, we hope it continues, but... Um, as far as the Ron Paul movement goes, um, running for Congress is certainly not the only or necessarily even the best um, way that uh, that folks out there can, can do their part to promote liberty, at least in our view. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd like to, you know, there's an idea that I wanted to get to, and I just it slipped my memory. I want to go back to it now, though. Getting back to this issue of the U.S. engaging in war everywhere, you know, uh, Mothers and fathers send their young kids into battle, into harm's way, and they some of them don't come back, or they come back and they're ma- you know they're they're damaged for life, they're injured, and they're, they've lost limbs or one thing or another. It's it's a horrible thing. We've lost a lot of people in in Iraq. We've lost a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of good lives have been damaged as a result of it. Not only our own, but the Iraqi people as well. Why do we keep doing this? Well. You know, a significant uh, uh, number of of uh, of the members of Congress and 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 one president after another, and probably a fair amount of the U.S. public uh, believe in and accept the premises of an interventionist foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are still not getting the fact that we are economically as damaged as we are. And that we simply can't afford it. Um, so you know, it, Congressman Paul makes this point all the time. Sooner or later, we will come home. The question is just whether it's because we came to our senses and stopped trying to be the world's policeman, or whether it's because economically we simply can't afford it anymore. We have some sort of collapse at home. Um, so, so really, that's that's where we are. That's where we are. Um, we can't keep spending. You know, the Obama administration proposes almost four trillion dollars for FY, or I should say, calendar year 2011. Um, you know, uh, in 1990, the federal budget was one trillion. Okay, does anybody think that the federal government was unreasonably small and paired to the bone in 1990? <laughs> uh, preposterous. You know, so um, it's quadrupled. 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, in 20 years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we've, the the graph, if you look at, at federal spending, is starting to go off exponentially. And at some point, people are going to have to reassess 
both entitlement spending in the form of Social Security and Medicare and military spending in the form of DOD. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really those three things that comprise roughly or are soon to comprise roughly a trillion dollars each. You take everything else, all the bridges to nowhere and the, you know, the education money and the VA money and the, the housing money, the transportation money, the highways, the bridges, all of that is just is really a, a very small portion of the federal budget compared to Medicare, Social Security, and defense. And, of course, the other big part of the budget that we can't really control anymore is, uh, is uh, spending on debt, interest payments on, mm-hmm. on U.S. Treasuries. Mm-hmm. Well, we've seen interest rates kept at, 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 at incredibly low levels, uh, levels that do not encourage people to save and to pay for the debt. Um, how long do you think that can go on, Jeff? I mean, how long can we keep having zero interest rates, and, and what would cause that to end? Well, it's interesting, you know, um, Congress like, loves to spend more than it brings in in taxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Bernanke and Mr. Greenspan, for a long time now, coming up on a couple decades, have been more than willing to accommodate them. Um, but it's interesting to look back on Mr. Volcker's tenure in the, in the, in the late 1970s when he, he wanted to tame inflation and viewed that as, a, a, you know, as an absolute necessity and was willing to take strong measures in the, po- in the form of, of, uh, uh, of tightening monetary policy as, a, as opposed to the continuous easing that we've seen from Greenspan and Bernanke. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in the media and the public and Congress screamed bloody murder and criticized Volcker up and down for raising interest rates in an attempt to, to, to uh, fight inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, these days there doesn't seem to be any sort of will whatsoever in the Federal Reserve to do uh, what is necessary, what, you know, to, to stave off uh, further collapse of the dollar. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it certainly does seem to be the case. I, there, um, there doesn't seem to be any, any will, any strong will to, uh, to do what's difficult. Of course, now I, would, I, guess, I guess the, the medicine would be significantly more severe than it was back in 1980 when Volcker did his thing and when he really saved the dollar and really sort of purged the system of the excesses and allowed us to have a couple of decades of, of pretty considerable growth as a result of it, but but nobody's willing to do that. So I guess right. the issue is, where how does this thing play out? Do you think well, it plays the, out in an inflationary fire or a deflationary depression? Or I, what's your best guess? I mean, the best thing that could happen would be a market solution. A market solution would be liquidate debt at every mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, government, business, personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as painful as that may be. You know, that is the answer. In other words, the recession is not the problem. The recession is the cure. Yeah. Um, that's not a happy thing to say, but it, it, it is, in fact, the reality. We have mm-hmm. to let malinvestment mm-hmm. uh, play out. We have to let all the bad debt on, on, uh, on the books, especially of our big banks, be marked to what it is and, uh, and suffer the consequences and move forward um, in, in, you know, in a new environment of trying to build real capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's trying to continue to expand by easing monetary policy to try to 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 stave off the consequences of debt with more debt. Um, you know, by by every historical measure and by every uh, economic measure of economics, particularly the Austrian school. You know, um, that that can only make the ultimate problem or the ultimate collapse worse. Well, so, indeed, and, and speaking you know, of collapse, we, we, had, need, we uh, need the political will. 
we, we had Dmitry Orlov. He was a Russian author who wrote a book called Reinventing Collapse. He was a guest on this show several weeks back. And he suggested that from what he can see, America is going down the same path that the Soviet Union did. He noted that there are five stages of, of this process. And he mentioned that the first one is the financial markets crumble. Secondly, he said that stores begin to have their, their goods disappear from the shelves. Uh, thirdly, uh, there's a political collapse. Fourth, there's a social collapse. And last, there's a cultural collapse in which uh, people, you know, in many cases don't even fend for themselves and their own families. Do you, do you think anything as, as severe as that could happen in America? I certainly hope not. But do I think it could? Sure. Sure. Um, concerns me very much. But, um, you know, we're, we're here plugging away, as you are, and I think that there's still a lot of well-intentioned folks in America who want to prevent that. Mm-hmm. And if it does, are there some things that, I mean, what would you suggest? People should probably try to uh, perhaps stock up with some basic uh, necessities, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've certainly done that on a personal level and um, uh, actually using one of you, I believe, one of your sponsors. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it, it can't, certainly can't hurt. Um, I, 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 I certainly don't begrudge the time or energy I have to put into that or the money mm-hmm. uh, any more than, than I would uh, writing a premium payment on a life insurance policy. Well, that's what we're talking about in a sense is insurance. We talk a great deal here about gold and silver and financial, uh, preparing our financial houses and, uh, for the time of distress. And uh, it seems to be gathering up ahead of steam again with the markets on, in a decline here. <clears throat> but there is also that idea of being prepared for with food and water and basic necessities. And what Jeff was talking about is a company called All-in-One Preparedness, uh, which you, uh, which we did have on the show, and we'll be talking to Suzanne sometime again in the near future. Uh, Jeff, uh, we had John Perkins on this show, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and he, along with Estulin and Adrian Salbucci and all these people, suggest that we may have gone into Iraq to a great extent because Saddam Hussein required the payment for his oil in euros and not dollars. Does that make any sense to you? Well, I think it does. I'm not saying that that's the, the sole reason. Uh, I, I think it, it could have been, um, you know, a, 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 one of the reasons. I mean, Iraq has a large oil, oil bourse, um, and pricing that in euros could have been devastating to the American dollar. That's really, you know, the, the, the provision by OPEC to use the U.S. dollar to price oil has really been what's propped up the dollar since since Nixon closed the last stage of the gold window in the mm-hmm. 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for several decades now, we've, despite our profligacy, you know, and our deficit spending, um, the whole world has needed dollars to go buy oil. Yeah. Everybody needs oil. So the minute some cracks start to appear in that hegemony and, and uh, uh, major oil markets around the world start to use a different currency, which was certainly being discussed more seriously four or five years ago, um, that poses a very serious economic threat to America and to the American dollar. So there's nothing uh, um, um, conspiratorial about thinking that uh, the U.S. would try to protect itself from, from ha- having oil sold on markets in currency other than dollars. Okay, Jeff, well, we're, unfortunately we're out of time now. I want to ask you, though, how can people follow uh, Ron Paul? What's the best place to 
to go? What would be a good website for them? Well, to go there's to? a lot. There's uh, ronpaul.com or uh, house.gov slash Paul. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, Jeff. We'll uh, have to have you on again sometime, maybe for an update on, on what the congressman is up to. Thank you so much for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be back with David Russell. He's the president of Apollo Gold, and Dave will talk to us about what he's planning for Apollo in Ontario as they're building a, a real sizable gold mining operation there. And he'll also talk a little bit about the Im- impending merger with Linear Gold. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dave Russell. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have with me Dave Russell. He is the president of Apollo Gold. He's been with us in the past before. It's been a while, so we're looking forward to Um, An update from Dave. Apollo trades in the U.S. under the symbol AGT. It's recently traded at about 30 cents, 334 million shares outstanding, giving it a market cap of somewhere around $100 million uh, or so. Welcome, Dave, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay, for having me again on your program. And it definitely is uh, taking hard times and turning them into really good times with the gold price we see today. Well, I think that's right, and the real price of gold, which I'm telling my subscribers and, and people on this show, has been rising very dramatically since the Lehman Brothers decline, and I think that bodes well for profit margins in general in the gold mining sector. I've been saying I think this is the buy of a lifetime. The gold mining shares are at a buy, in the, buy of a lifetime right now for just on the basis of fundamentals, but of course every company is different, and that's why we want to talk to you a little bit about Apollo. Now you've had some really big news since the last time we spoke. Um, there's a merger with Linear Gold, and I want to ask you about that a little bit. But maybe before we get to that, if you could just talk about Apollo's performance during the first quarter, I guess ending March 31st. Could you could could you let us know how much gold you produced at what price and uh, whatever other details you think are really significant? Okay, well, thank you, Jay. Uh, number one, our flagship of Apollo Gold is the Black Fox Mine near Timmins, Ontario. And we reported, say, as a company-wise, $6.45 million in operating income and approximately about $1.8 million uh, in the first quarter ending March 31st as operating income, which says that you actually produced gold and made money. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, the actual production was 14,175 ounces and we actually milled 178,000 tons, roughly the grade of 2.7. We were a little bit off in January, February, but we really picked the grade up in March and averaged out, okay, it's not where I wanted to be, but I think, you know, as we rolled into April, we've done real well. Uh, we're targeting grades of about 3.5 grams now and moving toward 4 in the open pit. But we've had a real learning curve with the open pit, bringing it into production, uh, say grades been up and down, but for the production profile of the mill, it's been hitting just about 2,000 metric tons a day, what it was supposed to. We learned how to mine in the open pit, so we, we've uh, hurdled a lot of roadblocks and stumbling blocks at that mine. I think we're starting to come out of the woods, and the mine's really starting to perform. The actual ounces uh, produced were 14,000, but we actually sold 15,796. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual gold price we achieved was 876, which is spot deferred price. We're actually selling some non-spot uh, market price uh, as of as we speak this week for the mm-hmm. first time. But we've been delivering into the gold hedge ever since. Mm-hmm. Our actual costs were about 631. Now that was a combine of a high cost in January, February, where they really came down in March. And what we're targeting now is about 500 to 550 for a cash cost. So all in all, for the quarter, I think we did pretty good for a start. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're really looking at is, number one, is the open pit has to fill the mill completely at 2,000 metric tons a day. And what we're now targeting is the startup of the underground. The contractor cementation was the award of the bid. They're on site now. They're actually starting the development underground. And this will actually start the first stopes over the next month to two months. In July, we'll be starting to feed the mill with higher-grade ores. So in the, in the second quarter, third quarter, what we're targeting is open pit. We'll start at 2,000 metric tons a day at 3.5 grams. But by July or August, we're going to be uh, producing roughly 100 and 200 as the stokes come online underground at 7 to 7.5 seven grams. Mm. And we'll start feeding the mill. So we'll start offsetting some of the lower-grade ores that have been hitting the uh, mill from the pit. So we're confident we keep the grade up in the open pit and augment with the 7 to 7.5 seven gram from underground. Mm. So it's very exciting for the second quarter after we come up out of the first quarter showing we can make money at mm-hmm. the mine, even with the open pit. But the real key is the underground coming online. So with that, you know, what the uh, investors really need to look at or, or pay attention to is as these stopes come online, by year's end, we're going to be at 750 metric tons a day underground and roughly 1,250 tons a day backing off from the 2,000 mark in the pit, which gives us flexibility to actually keep that pit grade up and then augment the mill higher grade from underground. Uh-huh. So then what that says is that even though we only produced uh, 14,175 in the first quarter, that's not a template for all four quarters. What it says is that between the third and fourth quarter, we're back-end loaded. So we're targeting between 90 and 100,000 ounces, and the average cost will be between 500 and 550 per ounce. Hmm. So at today's gold price, that, that gives us almost a double margin here. Hmm. So I think we, we've got something for the investors to look forward to in the uh, second, third, and fourth quarters at mm-hmm. this mine. Mm-hmm. A little bit further um, on the quarterly results, um, we do have about $20 million in cash in the bank. That gives us enough money to actually develop the underground and move this company forward. And that leads us into <coughs> the actual placement that we did with uh, Linear Gold, uh, which we announced a merger with Linear. So we used some of that cash to get ourselves started with. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, uh, you're saying you had a you made money, or at least you had op- an operating cash flow at 2.7 gram average during the first quarter. Are you saying that you think you can actually get the open pit uh, grades up to four four grams per ton? Yeah, we're, we're, we're targeting 3.5, but we should be able to push it between 3.5 and 4. And 4. And the, the way it's done is that <laughs> the, the actual open pit, you can actually isolate the higher-grade areas and stockpile lower-grade, medium-grade, and deliver higher grades. Mm-hmm. But what, what it is, it, it's dependent on the underground producing that takes the pressure off that pit. Mm-hmm. The original pit was designed at 1,500 metric tons a day, and we're operating at 2,000. Mm-hmm. So as we pack it off, that gives us flexibility to keep that grade up. I see. And then you can you can lay aside some of the lower grades for higher gold prices possibly in the future. Is that the idea? That's that's correct. What we're targeting right now, we've got lower grades sitting up the mine site of about 1.6, or excuse me, 160,000 tons of lower grades. Mm-hmm. And within about a year and a half or two, if the underground comes off the way it's supposed to, we're going to have pushing 250 to 300,000 tons that we've set aside. Mm-hmm. So we're actually re- really isolating it down to good grade material hits the mill first to make money. Well, Dave, what do you figure then once you get to say um, 750 tons from underground and 1,250 tons or 12 whatever that works out 1,250 tons I guess from the open pit? What do you think your average head grade will be then? 
that the average head grade will be about four for this year, and then next year it'll move up toward five. I see. So that really starts to add some profitability, some profit margins, and your cost per ounces should go down then, I would think. It, it definitely should go down. Now, you know, we, we like to uh, under-promise and over-deliver. So when we're saying 500 to 550, you know, we're, we're being conservative here, saying that if you really run the numbers and look at the grades underground, you know, we should be able to do better. Mm-hmm. But we've got to go out and we've got to prove that. Sure. Well, what about, uh, I think one of the exciting parts of your story is the exploration potential. Have you had some more exploration successes over the last couple of months or so? You know, we sure do. The uh, property, uh, Gray Fox, that was instrumental. We picked it up a few years ago, drilled it, and in 2008, 2009, we drilled roughly 69 holes on what's known as the north-south contact zone. And we are following this zone. It's a vertical structure. It's not the main duster porcupine, which is your bread and butter butter structure, but it was a high-grade structure that we started drilling, and we were releasing holes, and we had grades anywhere from, we'll call the odd-odd X-gold, up to 240 grams uh, per tonny. Hmm. And what it showed is that this structure probably is going to be a pretty good structure for producing ore, but we were trying to follow it north. Well, we hit a boundary, and it was called Pike River. We didn't own it at the time, but about three months ago, I finished a transaction with Newmont. I bought that property fairly cheaply. $1.1 million was the purchase. And then we moved the rig across the line, and we followed the contact zone, and that contact zone looks like it's leading up to the Dester Porcupine. Hmm. So what we have to look forward to in 2010 here is we've already drilled four holes on Pike River, which is on the contact zone. It is leading us to the Dester Porcupine, and we're targeting roughly 20,000 meters in that area, and hopefully we have a major discovery on the intersection between the uh, contact zone and the uh, actual Dester Porcupine structure. And we're going to spend about $4 million on that during 2010. Hmm. The other thing that's very exciting is we've got enough information to actually put together a 43101. Hmm. And what we told the market is that we'll actually put that out to the market by the end of the second quarter. You know, it's it's not going to be what I'd call a huge resource, but it's going to define a specific area on the contact and give kind of a snapshot of what is a feeder structure that's feeding into the main bread and butter structure. What does it look like? Wow. How many ounces can you expect on that and what type of grades? Hmm. So I think it's pretty exciting that we're yeah. actually already doing that before we have the major discovery. Hmm. Yeah, that is exciting, Dave. I mean, uh, this is uh, you have a huge, uh, huge exploration uh, target there too. The strike length is uh, very, very significant and uh, overall. So, it sure is. It's about two and a half kilometers between the known Black Fox uh, reserves and resources, and then to Pike River itself. We have two and a half kilometers to work with, mm-hmm. and we know the last holes that were drilled on the Black Fox on the southeast area. This would be off the 235 meter level of the Black Fox mine that we're developing the underground that we had uh, intercepts that were uh, very minimal underground. They were anywhere from, we'll say, 5 meters to 15 meters, anywhere from 15 grams to 30 grams, and it was right on the boundary. So the boundary isn't where the structure stops. So it says is that we've got some great potential moving to the southeast from Black Fox into Pike River also. So we'll be attacking it from both directions here between that 2.5 kilometers. Well, that's uh, fascinating. Well, that's uh, that's sort of the story then in terms of what your your first quarter performance and your exploration. As of course, people can go to the website and learn more and get more detail. And what is that website, Dave? Again, that's www. Excuse me, www. Apollo Gold, all one word. dot com. 
Okay, but now I want to ask you, uh, also with respect to the merger, what is the new company going to look like? And I think there's going to be a name change. Could you tell our listeners about that, too? Sure can. As soon as the uh, merger is completed, uh, when the votes come down, both sides uh, vote on this merger. We're, we're expecting it to pass. But the new company name is going to be Brigus Gold. So, you know, once we close the uh, business transaction here, we merge everything together, uh, it's going to be Brigus Gold Corp. And the symbol is, uh, has not been given to us yet for the Canadian side, the TSX and the Amex, but mm-hmm. we will have that shortly for the market, what it will be. And rebranding the company, we're actually going to do a reverse, four for one, mm-hmm. on the shares. And what it's going to look like is consolidated roughly about 156 fully diluted shares. Undiluted would be about 130. And we're looking at putting the market cap, if you use today's prices, of just under $200 million. Mm-hmm. Okay, with that, really what you're looking at is we're going to have a, a growth profile that has Black Fox producing cash. We're going to have a debt by the end of the year that is uh, markedly lower, uh, should be down around the $27 million range. Mm. And then as we move into the year 2011, 2012, we'd be working on the Box Project, which is in uh, near Uranium City in northern Saskatchewan, that mm. is the next mine to come online within the company. Now, once that comes online, we'll say in the year 2013 to 14, that's going to add another 70, 75,000 ounces. And if you put that with Black Fox and 120,000 ounces, you know, we're going to be pushing the 180, 185. At that point in time, mm-hmm. you can say, gee whiz, this new company, Briggs Gold Corp., you know, it looks like a mid-tier in the next sure. coming company. Sure. It gives us more liquidity and really access to the markets. Sure, I would think so. And also, again, realizing that you have a lot of exploration there in Ontario and the possibilities of over time ramping production up there, I would think. I mean, you can't say that yet, but you certainly have, with all of the uh, all the targets you got to shoot at there, I would think there's the possibility of, of building reserves and resources in, in Ontario substantially beyond it, where you are now. It, it, it's amazing to think what, what could happen with Gray Fox, Pike River and Black Fox, you know, down dip on strike, what size of operation you can have, you know, the complex could get very large at Black Fox itself, and then add that to the Box Project, the Athona Project, and then some of these Mexican assets, Ixvaton down in Chapas that Linear has that will be in the portfolio, we've got Wazopa in you know, Chihuahua there, you know, between these projects, we've got a pipeline of projects that can really add to this portfolio. Mm-hmm. This could be a very exciting growing company for a mid-tier company for the investors to uh, look at. Mm-hmm. Well, indeed, and I had one that I was on in the Dominican Republic that Linear Gold has down there next to the gigantic um, gigantic Barrick Gold, uh, almost 30 million ounce deposit down there at the Pueblo Vejo. Uh, you know, that's another one you didn't mention. So we're going to be talking to Dave Daw, the president of Linear Gold, uh, on this show in a couple of weeks, I guess, and maybe I'll, I'll ask him about some of those exploration uh, projects, and uh, I don't know if he'll be able to talk yet about what, uh, he, uh, what, what the plans are for some of those, but in any event, uh, we'll, we'll hear what Dave has to say. But I, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add yet, uh, uh, but I think we've got a pretty good picture of, a, of an exciting story here. Is there anything else, Dave, you'd like to mention before we say goodbye? Well, you know, I, I think uh, with the merger, I think it's going to be good for the shareholders. Uh, we, we we're looking at saying, gee whiz, you know, uh, we've got an excellent growth, growth production uh, profile. We've got great cash flow. We, we're going to strengthen the balance sheet here. This is, uh, you know, an exciting time, and you've got a strong management team. You know, with Wade mm-hmm. Daw, 
He's going to take the reins and the controls, but I'm going to stand alongside him for the next three to six months. Mm -hmm. So the investors will know that he's going to be there with his strength. I'm going to be there with my strengths. We're going to make sure this works. That's fantastic, and I'm, I'm glad to know you're going to be uh, working along with him. Uh, the team spirit is strong. I can sense that, and I'm, I'm sure that you have a vested interest also in seeing, the, in seeing this, uh, this company succeed. So I want to thank you very much, uh, Dave, again for your time, and look forward to talking to you again sometime soon uh, in one capacity or another. Thank you very much. Well, that's all the time we have now, folks, but don't go away because we're going to be back with Roger Wiegand and just uh, at the other side of the break here to do the wrap-up on today's show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard It's just a love ride You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I have Roger Wiegand here with me this this week for the wrap-up on today's show. But before we get to Roger, uh, well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation uh, that I had with Dave Russell and the prospects for Apollo Gold. But I just learned at the at the break that there were a couple of uh, mistakes or errors in the conversation uh, that need to be brought to your attention. First of all, Apollo Gold earned a net income of $6.5 million during the first quarter of this year and an operating income of $3.5 million. Secondly, uh, I said I would soon be speaking with David Daw, who is to become the CEO of Apollo Gold uh, and the Linear Gold merger, Merged Company. Well, the name of the new CEO is not Dave Dow. Rather, it's Wade, that's W-A-D-E, Dow. So my apologies to Mr. Dow, and uh, we look forward to, to his discussion, uh, my discussion with him in a couple of weeks. It's coming up on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, let's get right to it, Roger. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I haven't had you on in a while. How are things in the great Northwest? Thanks, Jay. We're doing well. Everything is very busy. Uh, we're heading to, to some changeovers in the market here, as uh, you know. 
Okay, uh, well, let, let me cut right to it. What about the equity markets? You think we're, we have a little bit of a bounce here and then a big decline, right? Yeah, I think we do. We're, getting, we're running out of cycle time on the calendar here during the month of May, and I think that uh, well, the, the XAU today, the metal-to-shares ratio, uh, based out and has turned up. Uh, some of our stocks and some of our related uh, material stocks are, are starting to come back up. Okay, now you have done quite well, as I understand it, with um, a short on the financials. Could you tell our listeners about that? Yes, that's the, the FAZ is the code. It's, a, it's an ETF uh, traded in New York. It's a triple short on banks and the credit. Uh, we first tried this about a year ago in March. And, and on our recommendation, the people that took it in our newsletter uh, made 125 a share in 10 days. It moves very quickly because of the three times leverage. Those shares at one time last year uh, went up to $2,000. Uh, it has split 10 times. So the leverage, while being high, it's not nearly as high as it was, but uh, we're looking at this point at, for the shares being at $16. Uh, we're forecasting a high by the end of the year, probably of somewhere around 100. Mm-hmm. And we're recommending call options for January 2011 to cover what we think are going to be the next two sell-off periods in the main stock markets, which would be June, July, and September, October. Uh, those calls are very, very excellent for leverage. Uh, we have some of our readers that have made 100% already, and they bought more. Okay, Roger, I would like to caution our listeners, though, to realize that the FAZ itself is a very volatile instrument. It moves around very quickly because it is a triple, a triple down on the financials. And so you're looking at even considerably more leverage, Roger, if you're buying the calls. Absolutely, and we always caution everybody in, in buying these instruments. Number one, if you get the shares, you need to use a reasonable stop. That's first of all because it is so fast. And then when you buy the call options, you've got to understand also that this is a high-risk trade environment. Uh, those options can have time decay, but uh, the presentation that we've got suggested right now, uh, we feel pre- pretty excited about it. Well, of course, and people should realize that in case you're wrong, and, you know, I mean, I'm with you on this, on this uh, bet, Roger. I believe that the uh, financials are going to get hit hard, but, you know, if we're wrong, it can work against you. I mean, people just need to be cognizant of that. I'm, I'm, I don't think, I, want, I don't want to assume anything in terms of what people know, so we want to make sure they realize that they, these are high risk, high return. You don't get the high return without the high risk, without some risk at least, Roger. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. So if you own the shares, you want to be using a stop, and in Trader Tracks, we do provide recommendations and ideas as to where to put your stop. Okay, Roger, we're out of time. Let me just tell uh, subscribers that they can pick up, uh, or listeners, that they can pick up a subscription, uh, trial subscription for $49 to Trader Tracks, $39 to Chen's newsletter called What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling, and $59 a three-month trial for my letter. That's all the time we have. Our guest next week, we're going to have Ian Gordon on with us next week. And uh, in closing, I want to thank our guests again for making this show logistically possible. A senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, uh, Robin Colum- uh, Ruben Colombe, our operations manager, Justin Jackman, he's my engineer, for making this show again, for making it um, viable. Uh, and thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is in-